Turn to Ephesians 2. We're continuing in our study of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. We're back in the same passage as last week. Uh, 2.11 through 3.6. I'll read that section in its entirety. Follows I read Ephesians 2.11 through 3.6. This is the Word of God. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility um, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jews. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, when you read this you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Amen. So the big idea in this passage is found in that chapter 3, verse 6. The Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews. Jew and Gentile are members of the same body partakers of the same promise in Christ through the Gospel. We're simply trying to understand more of what that means. Uh, I'm going to do a little recap. I want to build on what we talked about last week, and if you weren't here last week, you won't understand unless we recap. Uh, If you were here, bear with me. Um, Remember that a couple thousand years before the time of Christ, God called a pagan named Abraham to leave his family and his homeland and to follow him. So Abraham and his wife uh, Sarah had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. They became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. Thus the nation of Israel was born. And from the time of Abraham to the time of Christ, uh, this is where God was focused in relationship with mankind, with Abraham and his descendants, with, with his son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob and Jacob's sons, uh, you know, the nation of Israel. So, for a couple thousand years, God chose to enter into relationship with the nation of Israel and not with other nations. All other nations, known as Gentile nations, were not God's people. 
Verse 12 says that the Gentiles were separated from Christ, had no hope, were without God in the world. And not only separated from God, but also separated from His people. Verse 12 says, uh, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. So God had established Israel as His people and Gentiles were left out. All other people other than the Jews were left out. The way God establishes relationship is via covenant. So God made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with uh, Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai, giving of the law. He made a covenant with King David. And what our text is saying is the Gentiles were strangers to these covenants, separated from God and separated from His people, Israel. But things changed in Christ. In Christ, God expanded His people to include all nations, not just the nation of Israel. So now it's not just Jews, it's Jews and Gentiles. It's the nation of Israel and every other nation. Our text says the Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews. Jew and Gentile have become members of the same body, which is the church. Uh, Take a look at the whiteboard if you can see it. I did this last week. We'll just kind of rehash. This represents the temple... um, which was central to proper worship of God in Israel. Really can't understand our passage uh, unless we understand this. There's so much that draws from you know, temple worship in our passage. So we've already established that, that the Gentiles were separated from God and separated from His people. Uh, the language the passage uses is that the Gentiles were far off. The Jews were near. But even though they were near, there was still a degree of separation from God. So God would dwell in the Holy of Holies. That's here if you can't read it. Um, And the only person that could go into God's presence in the Holy of Holies was the high priest. And he could only go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement to make sacrifices uh, for uh, the sin of God's people. And notice the thick line that I drew uh, separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place Uh, That was the veil. It was very thick. It just means you can't come in. Only the high priest could go in, and even at that there were many restrictions, and if he did it wrong, he would die. Uh, Then you have the holy place, and that's where the priest, not the high priest, but the normal priest would would do their duties on behalf of God's people. And then you have the temple courts, kind of these next few sections. The first one was for Jewish men, the second court for Jewish women and children. Uh, And so you can see, even though the Jews were near to God, there was still a degree of separation from God uh, in their worship. You can also see that there was a Gentile court. That's the G on the outside. A Gentile court at the temple. Um, While most Gentiles in the world were separated from God and from His people, there were a few Gentiles that became a part of the people of Israel. And in, in the worship of God, they were in the outer court, uh, you know, further away than the Jews. And this Jew and Gentile separation was a hostile separation. Ephesians 2.14 talks about the, the dividing wall of hostility. Uh, that's the wall I marked with an X down at the bottom, if you can see it, that separates Jew from Gentile. The Gentiles were not allowed past the dividing wall of hostility. It was hostile because you could find a sign there that would say something like, keep out or die. So obviously, uh, you know, we Jews, we recognize that you're a Gentile 
and you're not welcome in here with us. The dividing wall of hostility. But here's the deal, and this is what we talked about last week. When Christ came, these things passed away. Jesus is the true and better high priest, the one whom the high priest pointed to. Not only that, Jesus is the true and better sacrifice, the full and final sacrifice for the sins of God's people. The, the Gospel of Matthew says that when Jesus died, the veil was torn from top to bottom. Uh, what does that mean? There you go. The great high priest has made full and final sacrifice for sin. Peace has been made between God and His people. And now it's not only the high priest that can go into God's presence. Jesus the high priest stands and invites the world, both Jew and Gentile, male and female, into the presence of God. And it's not just one day a year. It's every day and forever. And it's not as though the Jew has more privileged access than the Gentile. Um, not only did Jesus tear the veil so anyone can come into the presence of God through Him, our passage also says He broke down the dividing wall of hostility. So the Jew does not get more privileged access than the Gentile. Men do not have more privileged access than women. In Christ, you get full access, whoever you are, outside of Christ, you get no access at all. So in application of this, one of the things that we said last week is that this passage here and, and this um, helps us to understand the place of the nation of Israel in, in redemptive history. Simply put, Israel as we see it in the Old Testament was temporary. Um, the nation of Israel as we see it in the Old, Test- Old Testament with the temple and the high priests and... Uh, the lower priests and the temple courts and the sacrifices and and even the kings. It will never be restored because it has served its purpose to lead us to Christ. Jesus is the final high priest. He is the final sacrifice. The one true sacrifice for the sin of God's people. He is the final king. Uh, God will never dwell in a man-made temple again. There is a new temple. uh, A temple made out of men and women, Jew and Gentile, all over the world. Verse 20 says, Jesus is the cornerstone of the new temple. The apostles and prophets are the foundation. And we are the stones, Jew and Gentile, male and female. Verse 22 says, we're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A holy temple, the household of God. So there is no more need for the old temple in Jerusalem. God has blown that out of the water. There's no more need for the priests because Christians are a kingdom of priests. Uh, The nation of Israel will never again return to the way it was before because the the borders of God's nation have gotten much bigger in Christ. In Christ, God's holy nation now extends to every nation. Okay, so I wanted you to see um, that Israel uh, Israel as we see it in the Old Testament will never be restored. And I want to continue to build on that. Uh, Specifically, I want to talk about the connection of Israel and the church. Um, on the one hand, Israel and the church are distinct. Like the Christians in Ephesus were not also at Mount Sinai. Uh, you, and our, you and I are a part of the Christian church. We are not a part of the nation of Israel. That said, I am a part of the true Israel 
And so are you. All Christians are. And all true Jews are a part of the church. I'm going to try to explain that. Um, Turn to Romans chapter 9. Look at um, Romans 9, 6. I'll read, uh, starting in the second half of verse 6, Romans 9, for not all who are descended. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Alright, notice, uh, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. In other words, not all who are a part of national Israel are a part of the true Israel. Uh, So the first thing to notice is that there is an Israel within Israel. And I'm saying that's the true Israel within the national Israel. Our text calls the true Israel the children of promise. It is not uh, the children of Abraham's flesh, it says. It's not the children of Abraham's flesh that are the children of God. It is the children of the promise that are the children of God. In other words... Not all national Israel are the true descendants of Abraham just because they share his bloodline. Within national Israel, there is the true Israel, which is the children of promise. In, uh, in Genesis 15, God promised Abraham that he would have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, but that promise was not for everyone that came from his bloodline. Romans 9-7 says... The promise came through Abraham's son Isaac, not his other son Ishmael. Later in Romans 9, we see the promise continued through Isaac's son Jacob, not through uh, Jacob's brother Esau. So, question then, how would we identify the true Israel within the national Israel? Anyone? In a word, faith. The, uh, the true Israel is made up of those who had the same response to the promise as Abraham. Right after God promised Abraham in Genesis 15, it says that Abraham believed God, had faith in God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham was saved by faith in the promise of God. And the way we know the true Israel within the national Israel, I mean, if we were, you know, trying to separate them, is that the true Israel has the same faith in God that Abraham did. Galatians 3.7 says, It is those of faith that are the sons of Abraham. Romans 4 says it this way, No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Being a true Jew is a matter of the heart. Uh, Being a true Jew is a matter of having faith like Abraham. And here's the deal. You don't have to be Jewish to be a true Jew. 
The true Israel is not only within national Israel. I am a true Jew, and if you believe in Christ, so are you. As you're a true Jew, as the Bible describes, a true Jew. I am a true descendant of Abraham. I am a member of the true Israel. So is everyone who has faith in God like Abraham, whether Jew or Gentile. This is a major theme in Paul's writings. You can find it in Romans 2-4, through 4, Romans 9, Galatians 3-4, and 4, and, and more. Uh, I am of Gentile descent, but I am a true Jew, a true descendant of Abraham, because I have faith in Christ. And though I don't think this would be the best way to kind of start a conversation with my Jewish neighbors, um, they are not true Jews even though their family tree can literally be traced back to Abraham. I mean, he's their great-great-great-grandfather or whatever. Even though they are descendants of national Israel, they are not members of the true Israel as God defines the true Israel. I am more truly Jewish than them uh, because I have faith in, in God and in Christ. So as far as the relationship of Israel and the church... Um, on the one hand, they are distinct. If we're talking about like national Israel, the nation of Israel versus Christian churches, those are not the same thing. But there was a true Israel within national Israel, and the true Israel exists, it still exists right now in the church. It's those who truly believe God, like, like Abraham did. Galatians 6 calls this the Israel of God. Uh, if if you believe in Christ, you're a part of the Israel of God. To say it another way, everyone uh, who, not everyone who goes to church is a true Christian. We know that, right? There is the visible church, kind of just made up of those who go to church. Um, and within the visible church, there is the true church. And the true church is the same thing as the true Israel. So you take someone like King David. Uh, not only was he member of the, a member of the nation of Israel, he is a member of the true Israel. And though he was not a member of a Christian church, he is a member of the one true church. True Israel, true church, same thing. So, think about the big picture, if I haven't lost you yet. After the fall, God set out to save a people from their sin. And there is one saved people of God. Now, for a long time, God was focused in relationship with the nation of Israel. And within that nation of Israel, there were those that were truly saved. Not all Israel was truly saved, only those who had faith like Abraham. Uh, but God's intention was always to expand His saved people beyond the borders of Israel. God's holy nation is now made up of people from every nation. People from the nation of Israel and from every other nation under heaven. The expansion started after Jesus. After He came and lived and died and resurrected. Uh, he went back to heaven. He sent the Spirit. And uh, the, the church was born. And that's when the expansion into the other nations started. Now God's saved people are not just in one nation. We are in every nation. Okay, uh, any thoughts or questions so far? Does that make sense? So do people in the Old Testament or Jews, true Israel, relate to God the same way that Christians do today? 
What do you mean? Did David relate to God the same way I did? Well, uh, it depends on what you're asking. Uh, technically, no. I mean, David went to the temple. I don't. You don't. We, we go to church, and it's very different. We're not making sacrifices and all of that. At the same time, the right way to participate in temple worship would have been through faith. So, if we ever look at, at Old Testament Israel and say, well, they were saved by works, by doing all that right. No, no, no. They weren't saved by works. I mean, if, if it was based on works, they would have been dead at the foot of Sinai because they're crafting their little idols already before the whole thing's even over, you know. Uh, the right way to participate in worship in the Old Testament was through faith. So if, you're at, if that's the thing you're asking, yes, David and I related to God in the same way through faith. Um, the, the order of our worship looked different, but we, the heart of our worship was the same. Faith in, in Him. Um, now, it brings up some questions too about whether or not God's people before Christ believed in Christ. I mean, I, that's what I think about when I think about this. It's like, okay, well, what is the uh, The answer is yes and no. They believed in the one true God, and the one true God has now made Himself known in Christ. So, were they believing in Jesus? No, Jesus had not yet come. But yes, in the sense that they were believing in the one true God, they were trusting Him for salvation, and the one true God has now made Himself known in Christ. Um, So there's one saved people of God, focused in Israel in the Old Testament, uh, expanded to all nations in the New Testament and beyond, Israel and the church, and and all relate to God in the same way, which is through faith. The, the true Israel or the true church, faith. Any what, uh, questions? Bosh? But even before Jesus actually came, they did have the prophecy of Jesus, and they did believe in that. <clears throat> Absolutely. So even you could potentially say that people even before Christ, the Jews still believed in him. Yes. Because they expected him to come they didn't not only prophecies they had other you know the promises and they had pictures like the sacrifices and they had the prophecies and they had these people that were like christ figures i mean david or joshua and so did they didn't understand the full extent that we do looking back how all of this is fulfilled in christ because christ hadn't yet come they didn't understand, you know, David is king, but he's not the ultimate king. I mean, the mistake they made, right, is thinking, well, there's going to be another one just like David, and it's actually much greater than that. At the same time, if they were rightly relating to God, which many were through faith, they would have been expectant, expectantly looking ahead to what these sacrifices and promises and prophecies pointed to, rather, who they pointed to. Uh, so they, would, they were looking ahead in faith. We look mostly behind as far as looking to Christ. We see all of this having been fulfilled. What about the Holy Spirit? What do you mean? <clears throat> Where did he come into life? I mean, technically the Trinity has been here always, right? So. Yeah. <clears throat> there's a... There's a statement, and I don't know exactly where in the Gospels, but it talks about... Um, Jesus saying, and maybe it's in the section that Dr. Young's teaching through right now, but 
he says the Holy Spirit will not only be with you, but in you. So the Holy Spirit was always with God's people in some capacity, um, but not in them. The Holy Spirit now resides in us. So He showed up, but He wasn't the same. Yeah, the whole time. I mean, He was, you know, the Holy Spirit's been there from forever at creation and throughout redemption. Um, Just uh, now it's better and different. Uh, anybody else have questions? I got a couple more things I'll say. President talks about the reconciliation. You know, Christ was obviously the reconciliation between God and man. How did that happen? There's several references in the passage to the peace. You know, that, that results from that. Did they have that same peace, even though Christ hadn't come and there hadn't been the reconciliation? Yeah. Um, you know, it says. Somebody help me. There's a passage that says. Because the time had not come, he was pleased to look over former sins. Uh, I, I butchered that. Basically, people have anyone that's ever been saved, dating back to let's say Adam. I think you can make a good case that Adam is saved. Um, dating all the way back to Adam, Adam is saved because of Christ. Anyone that's been saved from the beginning has been saved on account of Jesus. Uh, but Jesus was not yet here. And He hadn't actually in real time done what He came to do. So that's why it says He came and preached peace to those who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near. Though the Jews were near and God had made provision for... uh, And I would even say for salvation. Like were there Jews that were dying and going to heaven? Yes, there were. Um, At the same time, the the fullness of this reconciliation hadn't yet taken place because the veil hadn't been torn and access hadn't been they weren't didn't have full access yet to God. You know, this was fellowship with God, but it was a veiled fellowship. I mean, there was still a sense in which it was a hostile fellowship. I, I doubt they were we we love to think about God as our Father, as we should, and it was harder for them to think that way. You know, I mean that was a terrifying thought what, because of the uh, distance, I guess. But that, that distance has been... I, I'm not, I don't know if that's helping what you're saying. At the same time, because of the reconciliation that was coming, they were saved. So, does that make sense? Sure. Okay. The Gentiles who were believing and had faith could still die without Yeah. Yes. And the Jews. Because, I mean, the full reconciliation for the Jews hadn't yet happened either. You know, I mean, that happened in Christ. There's only one full reconciliation with God and man, and that's in Christ uh, through the cross. Does the same hold true today? People that don't know the name of Christ calling it? No. Finish your question. No, I mean, that's the the question, right? Those folks, I mean, at the time of Adam... It wasn't exactly a Bible laying around, and obviously had direct interaction with God in the Scripture. Yeah. But you know, you go from there to some point in the future where there starts to be Scripture and Revelation and whatnot, varying levels of documentation or evidence or God revealing Himself. And so it's like, okay, well now that we're to the point where Christ has been revealed, there's still folks around that haven't heard about that, you know, sure. that sort of thing. So is it possible those people are living in faith and uh, you know their their salvation may be 
it's, it's, it exists because of Christ. And right. They don't know it. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. That's a good question, Clark. Uh, now, I thought what I thought you were saying is, are there those that say, I believe in God, but not, Je- not Jesus, and I have true faith in God, but not Jesus? That's kind of a rejection of That's no, because God has made Himself known in Christ. Are there those that the, the missionary never gets there and never tells them, and yet they die having true faith in God, I actually don't have a problem with that uh, because I don't think that, first of all, God is sovereign in salvation. He opens the eyes of the blind and people believe. Uh, He visits someone in a dream. Hypothetically, they're dying. He visits someone in a dream and they, they cling to Him for three seconds in true faith and then they get there and see that who they were clinging to was Jesus even though in those three seconds they didn't know that. I'm okay with that. But doesn't that contradict Romans where it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ? You can't be saved in faith without hearing. Okay, but don't you also believe that there are people in Muslim nations that are coming to Christ through dreams? No. You don't? No. Okay. They don't come to Christ until they they hear the gospel from a person. Okay. They They would testify to that as well. That they have a dream. That dream leads them to seek the truth and then they hear the truth from a believer or through reading the Bible. Gotcha. And then they become saved. Gotcha. First, what's that passage about the heavens declare... Um, yeah. Where if they haven't heard from a person... Yeah. Um, the heavens declare just enough to make us uh, accountable. And they don't declare, yeah, they don't declare enough to save us. And so uh, I fully affirm what you're saying about Romans. I, I, I shouldn't wander into hypotheticals. Uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I think about um, God is going to get His people, no matter what. And um, what, what if there is that person? Well, I guess if there is, and He's going to get them, He's going to send someone to tell them. Um, so. All right. Uh, why is why is this important? Does anyone else have any questions? Okay. Thank you, Clark. <laughs> uh, there are there are Orthodox Christians that would agree with what you said, though. Too. I mean, that, that whole argument right there split is split Wycliffe apart, and that is the big PCA argument right now. You might not want to use your view if you're going for PCA ordination, but, uh, <laughs> but, there, are, but, but there are by the book, buddy. <laughs> But if I'm around a lot of organizations that um, hold to our same professions of faith, that would hold to your arguments too. So um, it's a little yeah. more debatable than I think. Yeah. And I shouldn't say, I mean, that's total hype, the three second thing. And But would God visit someone in a dream and they hear about Christ that way? I don't have a problem with that, and I don't think it contradicts Romans 10, but there are those that do. Is so, that what happened to Paul, though? Yeah, but then there's the whole argument of people saying, but now Revelation is closed, and God isn't speaking in the same way that He used to, because He speaks through what He has spoken, and I believe that. I mean, I think one of the most dangerous things that Christians do is say, God spoke to me. I heard from the Lord. I got a word. And it's like, no you don't. You know? I mean, by and large, I want to totally do away with that and say, you got a word. Uh, well, and although I think people do get 
hunches or whatever from the Lord. And all I would say is, you, it would never be inconsistent with this. Um, anything that you are hearing, you know, would never... God's telling me to leave my wife. No, He's not. I can guarantee you. Because that's inconsistent. But people say that crap all the time. I mean, literally. You know, and we're, we're kind of in a world that you don't see as much of that, but there are millions of Christians operating in that mindset all over the world, and it's a dangerous place to be. So I want to do away with that. Um, anyway, good point. Why is this important? What we're talking about, back to uh, Israel and the church, okay? Back to uh, Israel and the church. There's one true Israel. There's one true church. Um, God intends for us to understand the Scriptures in a certain way. I'm not saying that I've nailed it down, okay? But it is very clear that He wants us to understand the unity of the entire book. The salvation of His people is the greatest of themes in the book, and it's a theme that is developed with continuity from front to back. Uh, How is this helpful? If you've ever heard Dr. Young, if you've been here very long, you've heard Dr. Young preach from the Old Testament, and he preaches passages that were originally written to the nation of Israel, yet they have deep, personal, abiding relevance for our lives today. Well, how could that be? It's because though the context was national Israel, the intended recipient was the true Israel, and we are a part of the true Israel. So we can go to these ancient texts that were written thousands of years ago, and they speak to us so clearly and so intimately today. So a few weeks ago, I made a, a recommendation for your personal devotional time in the morning, and I'm going to make it again. Um, if you're having problem getting established in a personal devotional time in the mornings, first of all, you're not alone. Um, but here's a good place to start, and it's in the book of Psalms. The way I would do it, or the way I've been doing it, is uh, take one psalm every morning. I've heard about the book of Psalms. It's like a Bible within a Bible. You've got all the great themes of the Bible within the Psalms. Take one psalm every morning. Take two if they're short. Take less than one if it's long. Pray before you read it. Read it two times. And then on the third time, pray it. That's really what they're meant for is worship. And so you read it twice to kind of get what you're doing and then kind of insert self and pray it as a guide for your own life in prayer. I've been doing this for a few months now. I'm all the way to Psalm 118, so however many days that is. And uh, it has been amazing how personal and how intimate my time with the Lord has been in these ancient texts in the Psalms. It's because even though their original context was national Israel, the intended audience is the true Israel, and I'm a part of that. So uh, I commend it to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, where I have been confusing, would you help people forget? And yet, Lord, uh, there is much that we need to understand as far as just the continuity of the Scriptures, uh, the fulfillment of all these things in Christ. Would you, would you give us wisdom and direction? Uh, ultimately, Lord, that we would be drawn further into and closer into fellowship with you. Uh, we just don't want Bible knowledge. We want Bible knowledge that leads us uh, to devotion in relationship with you. So would you, would you bless that and draw us close and help us to understand how this fits together. Uh, help us to find our footing in, in uh, fellowship with you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.